For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is your 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us as always is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to Coshocton County, and the summer of 1954 has just begun. It's June 2nd, a Wednesday, and Ethel Reese is really, really worried. Her burly, mentally unstable brother had gone on a test drive with a car salesman. The car returned to the farmhouse a bit later, but the car salesman was missing. Ethel picked up the phone and immediately called the sheriff. Ethel's brother was Cletus Paul Reese, a 36-year-old who lived on the large, quiet farm in the very rural Newcastle Township. The farm belonged to Ethel, but Brother Cletus lived there alone. Cletus was born in 1918 to Robert and Mary McLean Reese. And in addition to Ethel, he had three other older sisters. The farm where Cletus lived was 15 miles west of Coshocton. It was 200 acres on a sloping, triangular piece of land. The top of the triangle extended along a ridge of woods. Then the triangle narrowed as the ridge descended down a long slope of open fields. When our story takes place, the fields were unkept and given over to tall, wild grass. Cletus wasn't much of a farmer. What he was was a stout, barrel-chested man who carried nearly 250 pounds on his six-foot frame. He was reputed to be exceptionally strong, the kind of guy who had been seen carrying a good-sized hog beneath each arm. It was said he could wrestle cattle to the ground where he would hold them as they squirmed beneath him and sawed off their horns, a process known as polling. One neighbor recalled how he asked for a jack so he could change the tire on his car, at which point Cletus said, you don't need that, then proceeded to lift the car. But Cletus had few friends. Neighbors found him peculiar and funny, though not in a ha-ha way. 
He made up for this loneliness by engaging in conversation with imaginary pals. Sometimes people would catch him at it, walking country roads after midnight, talking out loud. Apparently, sometimes these long talks with himself would break out into arguments. In August of 1951, his older sisters, afraid he might hurt himself or others because of his temper, had him committed to the Cambridge State Hospital 50 miles away. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and records at the hospital noted that Cletus could be violent at times and sometimes fancied himself to be an FBI agent or a police officer. Four months later, Cletus's sister Ethel, she was a teacher in Millersburg, talked hospital officials into releasing her brother into her care. They agreed to do so on a provisional basis. For the next two years, his condition was reassessed regularly, with Ethel convinced that her brother's mind was healing. And after a couple of years, Cletus was allowed to return to live alone at the family farm, with his sisters looking in on him occasionally. In 1954, Cletus apparently decided he needed a new car, though he had no money to pay for it. The dealership didn't know that. On June the 2nd, a salesman from Hafner Truck and Equipment Company agreed to bring a new Hudson sedan to Cletus's farm for a test drive. The salesman was 28-year-old Clyde Patton. Clyde, a World War II vet, had moved to West Lafayette in western Coshocton County from West Virginia a year earlier because he'd landed a job teaching commerce at Fresno High School. But a teacher's salary wasn't enough for Clyde and his wife, Minnie, who had four children under the age of seven, three girls and a boy, and Minnie was pregnant with their fifth. So when school ended that spring, Clyde picked up a summer job as a car salesman. Clyde had already been to the Reese farm earlier that day. He had brought a used vehicle for Cletus to look over, but Cletus really wanted to see a new car. This time, when Clyde returned with the brand new Hudson, Cletus's sister, Ethel, was at the farmhouse for a visit. She watched as the two men drove off for a test drive, returned briefly, then went off for a second ride. This time, when the car came back, the passenger seat was empty. Where's the salesman? Ethel asked her brother. When he gave her evasive answers, she called Coshocton County Sheriff Gilbert Kempf. Cletus refused to answer the sheriff's questions about his missing car salesman. So, Cletus was arrested while the search for Clyde Patton began. On Saturday, June 5th, Authorities organized a search of Cletus's farm. Fifteen volunteers from the townships of Newcastle and White Eyes spread out over the land, normally a serene landscape with a beautiful view of the valley. Waldo Fenton was the man who found Clyde. He was in an open field behind a shed buried in a plowed furrow several hundred yards from the farmhouse. Another volunteer, E.E. E. Berkey, found the bloody murder weapon 
some 75 yards from where the body lay. The coroner, J.C. Brenner, determined Clyde's skull had been crushed with the oak club, about the size of a baseball bat. Cletus had been taken to the crime scene and showed the body when it was found, at which point he readily confessed. He gave no motive for the killing, only saying, we had a fight and I beat him up. As Cletus was interrogated on the details of that tragic Wednesday, investigators from Knox County drove over to Coshocton with a few questions of their own. They were missing a man named Lester Mellick, a 58-year-old from Danville, described as a twice-married, twice-divorced farmhand who worked in the Coshocton area. He had gone missing eight months earlier, on November 28, 1953, leaving a Danville restaurant. More importantly, Mellick was known to occasionally share a drink with Cletus before he dropped out of sight. Cletus confessed to killing him, then recanted. His answers were so tearful and rambling and, frankly, incoherent, authorities didn't know whether to believe him. And so on June the 10th, they returned to the Reese farm again, this time to look for Lester Mellick's body. Mellick's son, Harry, joined the search party, and it seemed fate that it was he who spotted a strange contour in the ground and called investigators over to pull out the shovels. The shallow grave was some 200 yards from Cletus's house. The remains belonged to a small person, so decomposed they weren't even sure if it was male or female. Again, the skull had been crushed, but it wasn't Lester Mellick. The next day, more than 600 people this time, many of them area farmers, joined an intensive search of Cletus's farm to see if Lester was buried out there or anyone else. Reporters said the sheriff was telling his searchers that I want to comb every inch of this land once and for all when suddenly someone shouted, they found another one. This time, it was Lester Mellick. A searcher named Guy Blankenship, a 49-year-old Coshocton salesman, had spotted a disturbed area, yellow clay mixed in with black soil, just 50 yards from the house. The remains were found just a foot under the surface. While the body was well decomposed, a Mrs. Flack, Lester lived with her and her husband, knew it was Lester as soon as she saw the plaid shirt buried in the soil. It's him, she said. I washed that shirt a hundred times. Melek's skull, like the others, had been crushed. As the death toll grew to three, Cletus Reese sat in a small cell at the Coshocton County Jail, chain-smoking and biting his lip. He brightened up briefly when photographers asked him to pose. At first, he stood like a soldier at attention, one news report said, then loosened up when they asked him to smile. When the camera flashing was done, his smile faded, and he mumbled how he wished this could all be over with so he could go back home. At this point, deputies still didn't know who that second body belonged to. 
The sheriff asked Cletus to tell him. Cleet, these fellows here want to get this thing in the paper, the sheriff said. Maybe this fellow we found yesterday has a family. They must be worried about him, and things couldn't be much worse. Why don't you tell us what you know about it? But Cletus only shook his head and stared at the floor. A few days later, officials pieced it together. The third victim was Paul Tisch, a 39-year-old World War II veteran from Mount Vernon who had been a patient at Cambridge State Hospital during the same time Cletus was there. He had walked away from the hospital on December 8, 1952. Sometime during Cletus's incoherent ramblings, he had talked about killing a soldier boy on a Christmas Eve a couple of years ago and that he killed him over a difference in theology. Even though Paul's remains were in civilian clothing, the sheriff figured they had found the soldier boy. With evidence that Cletus appeared to be a serial killer, people couldn't contain their curiosity. Newspapers reported the following Sunday that more than a thousand gawkers and souvenir seekers had showed up at the farm. Newspapers mused over how parents had brought their children to join in the bizarre hunt. Whispers of other bodies being found spurred the crowd on, and the swarm buzzed over the farm until nightfall, though no other bodies were found. On June 15, Sheriff Kempf said Reese had finally confessed to all three murders. There are only three, Cletus told the sheriff. You won't find any more. Cletus was committed to the Lima State Hospital, where Ohio housed the criminally insane. He died there of a heart attack on May 15, 1966, at the age of 48. But the story of his brief reign of terror lives on. Locals still call the site Murder Ridge, a name newspapers gave the farm back in 1954. And plenty of folks insist the site is haunted, especially at Halloween. They stop at the farm to recall its macabre history and look for spirits. They also question as to whether there could be other bodies buried on that 200-acre farm. After the third body was found, the sheriff told reporters that since Cletus only admitted to killing three men, he wasn't going to go out there and look for any more unless other reports of missing men made it necessary. Well, there was good reason to be a little suspicious. You see, a few years before all of this, there had been a second house on that property that burned down. This was in the years that led up to the Cletus' sisters acknowledging that their brother was violent and needed committed to an insane asylum. That old house was not far from the first, but it was abandoned and inhabited by passing tramps and drifters. Cletus's neighbors said Cletus let them stay. He didn't chase them away. He'd even take them food. The thing is, they were also the very kind of people whose disappearances would never be noted, never reported. The kind of people who could be murdered, buried, and never missed. That's it for our 10-minute mystery. We'll see you next Sunday for our next full episode. Until then, 
Enjoy the rest of your week. May all of your mysteries have happy endings. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.